Hi, I'm Joel McMahon, pastor at St. Philip United Methodist Church in St. Philip, Texas, and it's good to have you with us this time on this Palm Sunday. And as uh, we are gathered here now at this time, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are the sheep of your pasture, and we praise you for the good shepherd that you've given us. Not a hireling who will desert us when we needed the most, but your own son, who laid down his life for his sheep. We remember his entry into Jerusalem this morning. He received their cheers and hosannas as he prepared to die. This week before Easter, help us to see the glory of the cross. Make us mindful of how great a love has been shown to us by our Lord Jesus as he confronted our two worst enemies, sin and death, and laid down his life that his sheep might be spared. He loved us enough to die for us. May we love him enough to live for him. We have many uh, on our hearts right now that we're concerned about and who need your care this morning, Lord. Some are very ill, and Lord, some even listening need your help. Some are ill. Some are facing sorrow and disappointment. We ask that you visit the sick beds of our loved ones and those who are listening who are ill this day and impart strength and healing to them. Be with those who sorrow and be the comforter to them that only you can be. Watch over those who are traveling and see that they uh, make their trip safely and return home safely. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading today is found in the Gospel of Luke. We'll be looking at the 23rd chapter, the 33rd uh, verse through just, just a couple of three verses here. Beginning in Luke 23, 33. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But others answered, well, the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. 
It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word uh, at this time. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and it's also Passion Sunday. And normally at our church, since we usually have a Good Friday service or a, a Maundy Thursday service before our Easter service to remember Jesus' crucifixion, we usually just observe Palm Sunday at this time. But this year, it's different. And our next time to worship will be next Sunday at Easter, on Easter morning. At 10 o'clock, if you're nearby, come by and join with us. So today we remember both Jesus' glorious festive entrance into Jerusalem and then go beyond that to that time when he was arrested, subjected to a mock trial, beaten, and then finally nailed to a cross to die. In doing so, at this time, I want to consider three things. First of all, the crowd, and then the cross, and then I really want to look at the love. First of all, the crowd. You know, there were all kinds of people in that crowd as Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. There were the 12 disciples and the crowd of disciples that had been following Jesus for some time. Some had followed him uh, from the countryside where he had been teaching earlier. Others had joined in the procession as it went along. Others joined after he entered the city. Some wanted to be healed, some wanted to be fed, or whatever else they hoped to receive from him. And let's face it, fantastic things happened when Jesus was around, and you know what? They still do. Some truly loved him, and they saw him as the Son of God. But even those, however, didn't really know what that really meant. Some had political and cultural reasons for being in that crowd. Some were so hungry for God's word. And when he taught it, it was like listening to the voice of God himself. His teachings tugged at their hearts, troubling them and thrilling them at the same time and they just couldn't get enough. We've read there were the religious leaders, religious people, and there were people there for the Passover, just in for that time. There were sweet people in that crowd, and there were snotty people in that crowd, and there were mean people in that crowd. There were people who loved him, and there were people who hated him. There were people who wanted to crown him, and there were people who wanted to kill him. But there were two things 
that everyone in this crowd shared. Two things. First, none of them really understood Jesus. And secondly, Jesus loved each one of them very, very much. There was a turnover in that crowd during the week. Some people went back home and others showed up as the week progressed. So yes, some of the crowd who mocked and jeered at Jesus uh, when he was tried and crucified were the same that cheered him and welcomed him earlier. Others were locals who had just turned out for the crucifixion. But again, all those people, just like those who were in the crowd as he entered, all of those people at the foot of the cross watching to him suffer and die held two things in common. One thing was that they really didn't understand him. Their filters, their preconceptions about God, religion, law, and life all kept them from really understanding him. And the other thing that they had in common was the fact that Jesus loved them very much. From his mother, Mary, to those who lied in court to get him killed, they were all loved by Jesus. Now, I've just read through the gospel uh, account in Luke of the crucifixion, and we know what happened that day as Jesus was unfairly tried and executed in this torturous way. And we know that it was the fulfillment of what Jesus told us in John, beginning in the 16th uh, verse of the third chapter. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, it's on the cross that the love of God is shown to be real. And it's that love that I want to talk to you about more than anything else. If you have your Bible there with you, I encourage you to turn to a very familiar passage. It's 1 Corinthians 13. You know, there are only two subjects in the Bible that God felt were so important that he wanted to give a whole chapter to it in the Bible. One of them is faith, and that's Hebrews 11. And the other one is 1 Corinthians 13, and it is about love. Now, you heard earlier the picture of Jesus hanging on that cruel cross nails stuck in his hand in tremendous pain. I ask you to picture Jesus hanging there and uttering these words that we find in Luke 23, 33, as I read through 1 Corinthians 13. Let these words resound in your heart that Jesus said while he was being crucified. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Those are words of love. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind and not jealous. 
Love doesn't brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. That means it doesn't seek to have its own way. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. In his book, Love Like You've Never Been Hurt by Franklin Jensen is a quote that the best we can tell is from a man many, a man many of you maybe have never heard of. He was inducted into the 1982 National Hall of Fame. He was the first African-American pitcher in the American League. He played 20 years of baseball, and his name is Leroy Satchel Page. The amazing thing about him is he played baseball in a time when he was the only black man on the field pitching, and he was criticized. They would yell racial slurs from the stands at him. One of the stories that is verified was that one of the teams in an attempt to humiliate him lined up their four best batters straight up. Now, normally, and I verified with this with a coach even this morning in church, normally you go three and then you get your best batter up. And then you go three so that you can knock them in. But they took their four best batters and put them up in a row to try to intimidate him, to try to humiliate him. And when Satchel Page saw this, this is what he did. He said to his outfield, go into the dugout. And then to the men on the bases, he said, uh, first, second, and third, sit down on the bases. And then he went on to pitch against these four, and he struck every one of them out in a row. He was amazing. He had some famous quotes. One of them was, if you want to be a good pitcher, keep the ball off the fat part of the bat. He also uh, is given credit for this quote, work like you don't need the money, and also dance like nobody's watching. And then this is the phrase that can change your life in an instant. One day after he was attacked and slurred racially by people screaming from the stands at him, he was asked, how do you feel about that? And he said, you got to love like you've never been hurt. <clears throat> that's how love, Jesus, well, that's how Jesus loved, isn't it? That's what we see him doing while he's hanging on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. <clears throat> Sooner or later, every one of us is going to suffer hurt. We're going to be rejected. We're going to be let down. We're going to be talked about. We're going to have conflict with someone, probably somebody that you love. You're going to be stabbed in the back or betrayed. 
And let's face it, even while I said that, for most of you, a face has already come up before you and you're thinking of somebody right now that's already given you an experience like that or that you're experiencing something like this with right now as we speak. Well, Mark Twain said, if you find a dog on the side of the road that's hurt, that's starving, that's mangy, that's dirty, that's dying, and you feed that dog and take it home and groom it and nurture it back to health, that dog will never bite you. He went on to say, therein lies the major difference between human beings and a dog. Because many times, you see, the people that you loved the most will hurt you the deepest, won't they? In Matthew 17, Jesus said, offense must come. It's going to happen. You're going to be offended. You're going to get into conflict with someone that you love, and uh, they're going to hurt you greatly. And at that point, anybody can get along with somebody as long as there's no conflict, as long as uh, you've got the same viewpoint, the same theology, the same lifestyle. Everything's good then, isn't it? But what do you do when you get in conflict and you don't agree? You've got to love like you've never been hurt. The truth is, some people wake up every morning and the first thing they do is brush their teeth. And it seems like the second thing that they do is sharpen their tongue so that they can attack you. Somewhere, you're going to be hurt. Now, is it, has this been an encouraging word so far? Somewhere, you're going to be offended. Somewhere, you're going to be deeply wounded. Maybe even with the people that you're working with right now. Somebody's going to betray you but you've got to rise up and love. Love like you've never been hurt. Think about Joseph. He winds up with the keys to the whole kingdom of Egypt. His brothers come who threw him into the pit, and then there's the baker and the people who forgot him and Potiphar's wife who falsely accused him. And in that moment when he came to his great power, to the position that he was given by God, he had a choice to make. He could use the weight of the authority and position that he had to exact revenge on these people. But you see, Joseph was a man after God's own heart, and he made a decision. I'm going to love these people who have done so much wrong to me. I'm going to love them like I've never been hurt. And he did that, didn't he? He saved his family and he saved the world when he chose to love like he had never been hurt. There's something that happens when we understand that God has called us to love like we've never been hurt. We need to learn this. I preached about forgiveness a couple of Sundays ago. And if you'll recall, I talked about uh, forgiving being like you're, when you're hurt, you're issued an IOU that somehow you should be able to cash in to get either an apology or revenge. In some way, there should be some payback for what they did for you or to you. And that when, and forgiveness is when in obedience to God, 
in your heart of hearts, you take that figurative IOU, and in your heart of hearts in prayer, you just take it, you tear it up into little bitty pieces, and you cast it aside, and you say, so-and-so, I'm not going to expect anything from you on account of this anymore. Do you remember what it says in 1 Corinthians? Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Whenever you forgive, it puts you back in the position where you can love once more. I'm not saying romantic love. I'm talking about the sort of love that God has commanded us to have even for our enemies. And he wants us to get to the point to where we are free from the pain that they've caused. And I've seen so many people even get to the point where they still, where they forgive, but they still carry around a burden of some sort because they haven't let the hurt go. And until you do that, you haven't truly forgiven and you can't love like you've never been hurt. And that's how God wants you to love. It's not that he wants you to pretend that nothing ever happened, but he wants you to let go of the pain. He wants it to be behind you. And we'll talk about that some more. Let's keep on talking about this, this stuff here. David had a father who didn't believe in him. He had brothers who made fun of him and belittled him. He had a wife who had put him down and mocked his worship. He had a son named Absalom who broke his heart. He had a father-in-law who tried to kill him. Now, did you think that your family was kind of messed up? Well, I'm saying to you that you have to make up your mind. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be mean. I'm not going to be angry. I don't care what you do to me. I'm going to love like I've never been hurt. Sometimes you have to love God like you've never been hurt. You know, it's one thing when you've got a prodigal son or daughter that hurts your spirit and takes, uh, uh, and hurts you by their behavior. But what do you do when God's not acting like you think he's supposed to act? Job lost 10 children in one day. He had a wife who said, why don't you just die? He had three friends who did nothing but level accusations and, and call him a hypocrite, call him a liar, and tell him the judgment of God is why he was sick and why he's lost everything that he owned. And in that moment, Job could have become so bitter. But Job made a decision. At the end of all of the, of the book of Job, God told him to pray for those friends. And he did. He obeyed God. And he decided, in spite of all I've been through, I'm going to love like I've never been hurt. And when he did, do you know what happened? God said, Job, I'm going to restore everything to you double. Now, Jesus was afflicted. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was nailed cruelly to the cross. 
And here he lifts his voice. You see, he didn't wait until they asked for forgiveness, but he made a decision and he had made that decision back in the Garden of Gethsemane. Whenever he prayed, Father, if there be any way for this cup to pass from me, let it pass. And apparently his father said, I'm sorry, son, there's no other way because he got up from there and he went to that cross and he got on that cross and he loved even while he was hurting like he had never been hurt. Jesus made a decision because forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a choice. Forgiveness can rewrite your future. It will rewrite your future. The Christian walk is a journey in forgiveness. And Jesus, hanging on the cross, looked down and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm going to love them like I've never been hurt. These nails, these stripes, this pain in my body, I'm going to love those same people who did it to me like I've never been hurt. God honored that kind of love and raised Jesus from the dead. Honor will, and God will honor that kind of love in your life and give you new life when you're willing to do that. Now, guess what I'm trying to say is in so many Christian homes and families, uh, there, there's just a mess. We just don't know how to love one another anymore. We hold grudges. The body of Christ is full of parents who are estranged from their children. I hear things like, I haven't spoken to my child in a year. We just don't get along. I haven't seen my grandchild since it was born six months ago. We just had a conflict and we don't talk anymore. Brothers taking brothers to court. People suing one another. We're Christians, but sometimes parents say, but my kids have chosen to love a life of sin. And so I've just cut them off. And nothing could be further than what God, and that, and that's nothing could be further from what God has called us to do. It's the saddest thing in the world to me that we don't know how to keep our families together. We'll let our children live across town and never even make a phone call because there's been conflict in the family. Our own family in the same area where we live, we can go by their houses sometimes and never reach out to even know what's going on in their lives. It's because we think that somehow when we have conflict, we're entitled to just write those people off. But Paul said that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Romans 5 said, when you were estranged from God and you had no righteous compass, you were dis despicable and you were wrong. God, who is rich in mercy, one who knows the truth about you, took the first step and every step to reconcile you back. And now he says, I want you to reconcile with your own kin and your own blood. Children and parents 
just don't always do right. They're not going to raise their kids like, uh, like you raised your kids, parents. And you can get into little squabbles. Well, let me tell you, sometimes it's a real good thing to just zip it. If you look up the word nitroglycerin, you'll find two definitions. It says it's used as an explosive, as a way to blow things up. And then right under that, it says it can heal or stop the hurt in hearts. You see, if I give you a nitroglycerin pill and you're having a heart problem, it can settle your heart hurt or it can blow up bridges and your words are like nitroglycerin. The words that you speak can blow your house up or it can heal broken hearts. It's all in the power of your tongue and what you choose to do with that tongue. Sometimes you have to look at kids who have failed and say, I may not agree with your lifestyle, but I love you. I may not approve of what you're doing, but as long as you live, you're mine and I'm going to love you. I may not aid or abet you or finance your lifestyle if you choose to go this route, but nothing's going to stop me from calling you and talking to you. You can't put me out of your life. I do care what kind of lifestyle you go into, but I'm going to love you because love never fails. It may take a week. It may take a year. It might take a lifetime. But if I'll keep loving you, my love will not fail to reach you. You can't make me not love you. If you raise teenagers nowadays, you're going to go through some stuff especially if you have to practice tough love. But here's the thing. How many times do you forgive? The Bible said Peter asked that. and We talked about that a week or so ago. How many times do I have to forgive? And the Pharisees taught three times. And so apparently he decided, I'll just double that and add one. And I'm going to be super spiritual. I read somewhere where somebody thought that uh, maybe he'd been having some things going with his wife and all of a sudden he's already forgiven his wife six times and he was just ready, wanted to be ready for, for after that seventh one. He said, seven times? And suddenly you can just see Jesus turn around and say, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. 490 times in a day. Now, let me tell you something about forgiveness. Now, I love ketchup. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to go any further, but I do love ketchup. And back in the day, and you can still get glass bottles. It's hard to find them nowadays. But these squeeze bottles are a lot easier to use, aren't they? And why? Because... It's so hard to get ketchup out of a glass bottle. And forgiveness is like opening a glass bottle of ketchup and getting the ketchup out. If you've ever opened one of those, you'll find this. First of all, you have to get it open. And it's under pressure. And that makes it hard to open. But you see, that's the first step in forgiveness too. 
You have to be able to open it. You have to open it. The first step to reconcile or to reconciliation uh, is to start talking. Is to start making contact. You have to open it. You have to give the opening to speak to that aunt or that brother or that sister or that grandparent or that mother or that father or that person that offended you. It, it, you have to open up. But then what is interesting, if you'll go to Heinz.com, I never knew this, only 11% of people who use this product know this. And I can tell you one of the reasons why, too. They say if you have the glass bottle, that they've designed the bottle and put the number 57 strategically on the bottle because they did scientific research that if you will tap and uh, if you'll, if you'll tap in the right place where that bottle, where that number is, if you'll tap on that 57 and keep tapping, eventually the contents, which are under pressure, but still there, will begin to pour out. And that's how forgiveness works. You first open up and say, I'm open for reconciliation and healing. It doesn't mean that somebody has to be in your life all the time. Sometimes you just have to make it right. But you open up and then you start tapping and you keep tapping and you keep tapping. Now, I want to stop there for a moment and tell you, my dad taught me another way. Uh, other people taught me that you could just take that bottle of ketchup and stick a lot, so like an iced teaspoon, stick that up there, wiggle it around, out comes the ketchup. But then you've got a mess going down the spoon and all, don't you? But, uh, and some people, you know, turn it upside down, they'll pound it and all of a sudden splat. It's everywhere. My dad showed me a long time ago, and we're just going to pretend that this is the bottle of ketchup. If you'll just grab it by the neck and squeeze and then just gently start shaking it while you're squeezing, the ketchup will start coming out. Now, you can see why I don't use that metaphor, don't you? Because, uh, you know, grabbing somebody by the neck and squeezing them, uh, that's not a very good metaphor. But this one from about the, the bottle, uh, that one works. And it works in two ways. First of all, you have to open the bottle. First of all, you have to open a conversation. And then you keep tapping. And folks, this is real forgiveness I'm talking about. When somebody really does something that it offends you, it's not just, boom, you've got it. But you keep on tapping. Because forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. Secondly, if you understand what I'm saying, it will change your life. Do you know how many times? You see, that's the mathematical formula for forgiveness. And Jesus and God said in the middle of all this, forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. And sometimes you take the worst things done to you. Uh, and if you will take, well, let me put it this way. 
Sometimes it takes the worst things done to you to bring out the best in you. And I can attest to that because this has happened to me. I have had people try to destroy me, try to smear my character, try to destroy my career. But I'm the Lord's. And I just chose them to love them in spite of themselves and to repay evil with good over and over and over again. There is no keeping count, just keeping on, keeping on, loving them. I remember uh, one man in particular, I did this. And three weeks before he died of cancer, I was visiting with him just loving him in spite of himself. And he said, you know, I do want you to do my funeral. And I did his funeral. When I left that day, we hugged each other and let each other know that we loved each other. This was a man that tried to destroy my career, tried to destroy my life. But I just kept on loving him. And you know what? He loved me back. And I know I'm going to see him in heaven. This works, folks. This is how you let your light shine. This is what the world needs today. You see, right now, in this world, in this country today, we have way too many people just looking for ways to be offended so they can hold endless grudges. But what we need is a whole lot of people in the world today who will start loving like they have never been hurt. We need a move of God in this area like never before. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. Now, there may be some of you who you have been hurt and you're having a hard time forgiving. And, uh, you know, I am also a counselor as well as a preacher, and I would love to visit with you. If you just leave a comment, I would love to pray with you. Just uh, uh, tap in the comments below and let me know, and I'll get in touch with you, and we can pray and we can counsel. But Lord, the Lord has a great life for you. He doesn't want you bound by bitterness. He doesn't want you bound by grudges. He wants to free you from your past so you can really be alive in the present and look forward to the future and have a future with him. Goodbye, and I hope I see you again next week.